Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit destinydayton.com. John chapter 9, verse 1. Are you there? All right, here we go. Now as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, this is one of my most favorite passages in the New Testament, by the way, for a lot of reasons. Rabbi, who committed the sin that caused this man to be born blind? This man or his parents? Isn't that a question people ask a lot even today in different ways? (laughs) I love Jesus' answer here. And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. And what he was talking about, obviously we all have sinned, but he's talking about neither of their sin caused his blindness, what he's meaning. But he was born blind so that the acts of God may be revealed. There's a little worldview perspective for you. There's a little, there's a little thinking in tongues right there for you just to grab a hold of, right? A little Pentecostal worldview. He was born blind so that the acts of God may be revealed through what happens to him. Verse 4, we must perform the deeds of the one who sent me as long as it is daytime. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground and made some mud with the saliva. And he smeared the mud on the blind man's eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Shalom, which is translated scent. So the blind man went away, washed, and came back seeing. Now, I love the response of his neighbors. All right, this story just gets better and better. Then the neighbors and the people who had seen him previously as a beggar Right? I love that. As a beggar. We knew you when you were a beggar. Well, what happened? What's going on now? You're not a beggar anymore. And they, they began saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some people said, I love this, some people said, this is the man. While others says, no, but it looks like him, though. Imagine a transformation so stark and so powerful in your life that people don't remember the old you. That kind of looks like them. Kind of has their same face, but I don't know. They're just something different. They don't, they don't come in dragging anymore, looking depressed, looking like they're the most miserable person in the world. They come in looking free. They come in looking like something happened to them. They kind of look the same, but I'm kind of thinking that may not be the same person that was in here before. Mercy. The man himself kept insisting, nope. I'm the man. I am the one. So they asked him, how then were you made to see? And he replied, the man called Jesus made mud, smeared it on my eyes and told me, go to Shalom and wash. So I went and washed and was able to see. And they said to him, I love this. God just hit me with this verse this week. They said, where is this man? The man that transformed you, where is he? And he replied, I don't know. Because Jesus had moved on, right? 
But I love their question. After all the Lord had done for him, they wanted to know, where's Jesus? Where is he? I love what Brother Sean Smith, one of my favorite evangelist preachers, said the other day. He said, it's really a shame if people come to church looking for God and only find us. I want to talk to you this morning for a few moments. This message I've entitled, No Days or No Off Days. You could say no days off, but no off days. I believe that God is calling us to awaken to the ministry that all of us have and that all of us have been given. And I believe that as Jesus followers, that we are obligated to walk in Jesus' perspectives. If we're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have a really hard time if you're not walking in his perspective of life or, or loss or battles, or if we don't have his perspective, we're going to have a hard time coming up and following him uh, and following his lead on whatever the issue is in our life. So I want to pray over each of you. I want to ask you to lay your hand on your heart today, and I want you to say, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart, change my mind, change my life. Jesus, help me to receive what you want me to receive today. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. In verse 1, it says that Jesus, just as he went, he just happened to pass this blind man. And the disciples ask a question that is really not unfamiliar in our day and time. And it can be a question of curiosity, right? How did that person get that way, right? What, what happened? And here specifically, the disciples were saying, you know, what's, what sin caused him to be blind? Was it his parents or, or was it him? And ultimately, it can be for some, I'm not saying this was the disciples' motives at all, but it can be a question that can help assign blame. As in, if someone did something that caused them to be in the pit that they are in, then they sort of deserve it. They made bad decisions. They made their bed, right? We have all kinds of ways of saying it. They made their bed. They'll have to lay in it. And again, I'm not saying this is how the disciples were asking or that being their motive, but I have seen this similar question asked in modern times, almost like, well, if I can blame the person for the position they're in, then, then somehow that will excuse me from having to feel compassion for them and do something to help them. I don't know about you, but every dumb and bad thing I've ever done in my life was because I made a bad decision. And aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't ever hold that against us? Aren't you glad he said, no, you made your bed, sir. You're going to have to lay in it. You made that decision. You did that. You caused that. You'll just have to. Aren't you glad that Jesus is not that way? Aren't you glad that he wasn't that way with you and I? Aren't you glad that when Jesus, what he brings to the table, he doesn't ask you how you got there? Their fault, your fault, no one's fault, my fault a hundred times. 
Jesus came to pull people out of the ditches they find themselves in, period, end of the story. Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Neither, Jesus said. And the answer he gives provides us a powerful basis for all we do as believers. It also gives us the right perspective and the right approach. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he was born blind so that the acts of God may be revealed through what happens to him. This is what I want you to see this morning, first of all, in this passage, that the brokenness that we see in this world, the brokenness that many of us have experienced, only exists for God's glory to be manifested. If you wonder why things are the way they are, we talked about the Pentecostal perspective last week and how important it is to carry that because it answers a whole lot of questions. Why is this happening? What is going on? I tell you, we could bang our head against the wall trying to figure out reasons and psychological reasons and and weather patterns and storms and all the terrible things that we've seen happen just this week. And we try to figure out why is this happening? And we can give a lot of great, smart, educated type answers. But isn't it at the end of the day just better to have the perspective of Jesus? Brokenness exists so God's glory can be manifested through the lives of those who experience brokenness. That should simplify things for us, my friends. Now, see, watch how this should inform our worldview. Jesus, why is this person fill in the blank? You cook it up. Ready? Jesus, why is this person, uh? Why have they done, uh? Why are they living in, uh? why, Why is that? Now, Jesus could have given a perfectly logical and correct answer. He could have said, well, you know, when sin entered the world, fellas, this whole world fell, and it caused brokenness, and we just live in a broken world. It's just the way things are. He could have said that. And you know what? That would have been absolutely correct. But Jesus skipped over that. Why? Because it's kind of a waste of time to, to, to frolic <laughs> to uh, scrounge, looking for those kinds of answers. Jesus skipped all of that, and he went to the heart of the mission, his mission, our mission. Why is this man born blind? So the acts of God might be revealed in him. Why are people broken in our city? Why are people broken in our country? Why are things broken in this world? I could give you a lot of reasons, and so you could be too. But I want to tell you, the main reason that we need to focus on is mission-related, and that is that this brokenness exists today so that that the greatness and the glory and the power of God can be manifested through that brokenness. That's why it exists. So the acts of God might be revealed in him. Why are there broken people? Why are there people with disease? Why are there people needing deliverance? Why are there people this? Why are people that? It's a chance for God to show his glory. When one sees God's glory, my friend, when one sees God, his acts, they are changed forever. They are transformed. Yesterday morning, I watched the 
the Blue Origin launch, the, the, the spacecraft thing, right? And I heard someone say on there that, that, you know, I've never seen, they got up to the point where they, they, just, they just crossed the line, right, where they're considered space travelers, right? They, said they don't go very far into space. That they're not orbiting the planet, right? They're not going to the moon. They go just high enough. There's a line, right? And they go just above that line to say, we've been in space. And they stay there for about three minutes, and then it comes back down to Earth. And in the case of the Blue Origin, it's like, it's kind of scary because everything's automated, right? There's no pilot on board. But as they got up into that three-minute zone, they're weightless, right? Somebody on board said, I've never seen anything like this. A few weeks ago, I saw, you know, William Shatner, right? Captain Kirk, for those of you who grew up in the 60s and 70s, right? Captain Kirk, right? And, and he, he got off the... <laughs> He got off of a little capsule, and like he was emotional. You know, he had tears in his eyes. You know, he had never seen anything like that. What an amazing experience it was. And I want to tell you, as I watched that, I said, wait till they stand in the throne room of our God. Wait till they stand before a holy God. Wait till what they feel when they see that all the God, the God that they have, some of them have rejected and that they have turned their back on. Wait till they stand in front of him. What will be their response? then talking about emotional it's moving when someone encounters the majesty or the glory of God on this side of heaven what's going to happen when they stand in front of the king of kings what happens when they see a blind man healed what happens when they see the glory of God displayed? What happens when they see the transformation in your life? What happens when they see you're a different person? What happens when they see somebody is healed and now they could walk that couldn't walk before? What will they say? What will they feel when cancer disappears and tumors disappear out of your body? What do they say? I often wonder what it will be like that day in the throne room of heaven standing before God. Can you imagine what it'll be like for the atheist? Those little punks that mock on Facebook and make fun of everything. They troll. <laughs> they always like to troll. And you have to, like, push down every urge that you have to comment and to launch on them. Like, it doesn't do any good because they're full of demons. And they're just there to troll. And they just want to stir the pot. Can you imagine what it's going to be like for them as they stand in front of a holy God? They're going to be undone. I think Isaiah felt he was undone. Isaiah knew God. What's going to happen for those who rejected God? Then they stand before that same God. I don't know what's less than undone, but they're going to be, they're going to be less than undone, brother. All those Christians right now that are deconstructing their faith, which, which just means they stop believing the Bible. You hear somebody say they're deconstructing their faith? Run. That is a doctrine of demons. You hear that in these liberal left-wing churches and, and liberal Christianity, which is an oxymoron in and of itself. We're deconstructing our faith, which means we stop believing what the God of the Bible says. When those people stand before a living God, those who've mocked, could you imagine the fear and the terror of standing before a living God? After this man was healed, his, neighbor, his neighbors were comical in their response, right? We, we, we said, you know, we, we read this, but you know, isn't this the man that used to beg? What I love, there was question about who he was before. 
You know what that means, right? His transformation was so stark, it, it, it even changed how he looked. Think about that. Because I'm sure he didn't run home and change clothes. Right? I don't know that a lot of people had a ton of extra change of clothing in that day, especially if you were in extreme poverty, like this man obviously was. Had the same tunic, same cloak. His face might have been a little wet because he just dunked his head to get somebody's spit mud off of his face. But they look at him and they say, I'm not sure that's the same guy. And the Bible says, he kept saying, no, it's me. <laughs> it's really me. And then other people said, that's not him. That's not him. That can't be. That, can't, that couldn't happen. Someone blind could never see. They're, they're, they're believing fallacies. And the Bible says the man kept insisting, I am the one. I am the one. So I, I want you to see that we should never wonder why. See, that's what they do in the media. Why did this happen? That, that, that's the dumbest question I know of. It's said by uh, intelligent people. Uh, I'm not dissing their intelligence. It's just a dumb question because smart people can ask dumb questions sometimes. Say, how does that happen? Because you, you really, you're, you're, you're getting into areas you don't know, <laughs> right? That's what they say. The smartest person is the one who doesn't know what he doesn't know. Right, so I try to keep that in my mind all the time before I comment. I'm like, well, if I don't know, I probably said, <laughs> I, I don't know what I don't know sometimes. But friends, there's one thing that I'm certain of right here. There's something that I've tasted and I've seen the goodness of God, and I know, I know, you'll never talk me out of this. You'll never hear Pastor Eric is deconstructing anything unless I'm tearing a wall out of here to make a room bigger or something like that. I'll, I'll do that kind of deconstruction sometimes. But you'll never hear so, because this I, I've tasted too much. I've just encountered too much. Like Brandon Lake saying, he's too good to not believe. Everything on that list in that song, I've seen almost everything that he sings. I've, I've seen cancer disappear. I've seen metal come out of people's bodies. I've seen, I know God. I've tasted him. I know he's good. And this is, why, this is what's so cool about the next thing Jesus says in verse 4, if you got your Bible there. Verse 4, he says, we must perform the deeds of the one who sent me as long as it is daytime. Night is coming when no one can work. See, I want you to see this right here. Time is so short, we must do the works of the Father. Time is short. Now, we could sit here and we could talk about, you know, the, the, the end time short, or we could just talk life short, which one you want to debate. You're like me, you know, you hope you have 20 years left, 30 years maybe, right? Even if you're 20, God bless you. You know, maybe you have 50 years left. But no, notice notice the, the word I keep using, left, right? I mean, we, we, we all have a finite existence. We don't even need to worry about when the end of the world is because our end will come way sooner than that probably will ever come. So time is short. 
Yes, on the, on, the, uh, on the end times calendar, time is short. I believe we are living in the last days. There's no doubt about that. That's not what this message is about. But Jesus alludes to that. There's a time coming when no one will be able to work. Right now, listen, we are in a, t- time, a, a season of God's grace and his mercy. We are living, right, the church age. God has given us this, this moment. He's given us this time. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. But please understand that Jesus didn't say me. He said we. We must work the works of him who sent me. So you could say this, when when Jesus says we, he means you. I could see Jesus leaning over to his disciples, and and of course when I say me, I mean you guys. Time is short. So we must do the works of the Father. And I just want to tell you, religion absolutely hates that answer. Religion hates that answer. Why? Because it puts a demand on what is inside of me, and it it puts me in a position of having to do something, and religion has falsely taught us that we don't have to do anything. We just believe and receive. As I mentioned last week, you know, we take Romans 10, 9, and 10, and we forget Paul did not write that to sinners. He wrote that to Christians who were having to stand up for their faith, and some of them were being persecuted and put to death. And he was saying, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. He was talking about when you stand in front of the emperor, and they say, we're about to kill you, but we'll give you a chance to recant and deny Jesus. He said, don't do it, but confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You'll be saved. What he's saying is in that moment when you have the opportunity where your life is on the line don't reject Jesus and here we come today and boy we've got this four spiritual laws and Romans road and all this stuff that's like whoa 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 that's that's not what Paul was talking about you see we are required to do something when Sarah got up here earlier I was thinking I, I just felt like the Lord saying you know some people think a yes to God is all they need but you also need a no to the world yet we need to give our we need to give our God a big yes every time but we also need to give sin a no we need to give the world a no we need to give those those clowns on uh, right, that, that try to yeah, right, seduce us uh, in various ways and forms we got to give them a no Because we've got a church world today that says yes to everything. Oh, they've said yes to Jesus, but they've also said yes to this, and they've said yes to that boyfriend, and this boyfriend, and this girlfriend, and they've said yes to that, and this, and they've got a cobbled mess. Time is short. We've got to do the works of the Father. This puts a demand on us. You see, religion wants us to exist in powerless passivity. Religion wants you just to show up on Sunday and that's it, not give God or church or Jesus another thought the other five, six days. And I know to this group, that sounds like crazy, but that's where 95% of the church world lives. God is only a thing when you're actually at church. Living for Jesus is only a thing when I'm sitting in the church building. You see, religion, at the end of the day, doesn't want any responsibility. 
And this is what Jesus said. We must perform the deeds. We must work the works of the one who sent Jesus. So the question is, what works did the Father send Jesus to do? Well, I think one of the clearest verses that answers this question is in 1 John 3, 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. I just want to pause there for a second because there is a comma. I think it's good for us to read that because people try to explain that verse away. Well, what do you really mean? No, 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 the one who practices sin is of the devil. And uh, some people have a hard time swallowing this, and this, this is not even the part of the verse I'm, I'm, I'm heading to. You obviously see the underline, but I want us to understand something here. If our practice in life is to sin, if that's our normal practice where we say, I, I, I people say, I sin all the time, brother. Well, then you don't know Jesus. I sin daily, brother. <laughs> you might have a problem. <laughs> there might be an issue. The one who practices sin is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And it's for this purpose. Here we go. For this purpose, the Son of God was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of Jesus? When Jesus said, I've got to do the works, we have to do the works of him who sent me, what is he talking about? We have to be about destroying the works of the devil. So if we're going to perform the deeds or, or work the works, whatever your translation says, we can solve the mystery right now. The, the works that Jesus wants us to be involved in are destroying the works of the devil. So where there's bondage, we break it. Where there's brokenness, we heal it. Where there's hopelessness, we bring hope. Where there's spiritual darkness, we bring light. Are you tracking with me? That is 24-7, 365. We don't get a day off from that, right? But we're we're not building our kingdom. We're building the kingdom of God. He has done something in us. And this is a big chain of grace. You were saved and set free and healed so you could turn around and help the other person next to you get the same thing from God, to have an encounter with God just like that. It's a chain of grace. Destroying the works of the devil. You see, everything about following Jesus Everything about being a Christian is go mode. Right? Sean Smith would say beast mode. Right? However you want to say it. Everything about serving. There is nothing passive about serving Jesus, even though I know that's how a lot of people approach it. That's unfortunate, and that's why they're dead, and that's why they're so dry, and that's why they have compromise in their life, and that's why so many of them don't have freedom because they're singing about a God that they believe he existed, but they're not actively living for him and pursuing him. They're not in an active relationship with him. The only relationship they have is they happen to have a Bible with his name mentioned in it a few times but he's called us to so much more everything about being a follower of Jesus Christ is go mode it's active there's no laziness there's no off days that's why Jesus said we've got to do this while there's time We've got to do this before the end. We have to do this while we still, and Jesus was up against all kinds of clocks, right? His clock was three years. He began his ministry at 30. He was going to be crucified at 33. He had three years to do it and to model it for you and I and all of his followers that so we, that he would become we, that we would be working the works of the Father who sent him. 
It's a clock. I'm on a clock. When I'm over here singing, we want revival now, I'm not joking. I look around, I wonder if some people really mean that or not. I, you don't have to wonder with me, I want that. I, I, I have no question. I want revival now. I wouldn't waste my time in a church that that wasn't their goal. Unless they already had it and were living in it, and that would be wonderful. But th there better be some manifestation of God's glory in the place. Serving God. Listen, there's no laziness. There are no off days. We don't take a break from being a believer. We, we don't take a, a break from bringing, being a hope bringer. We, 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 don't, we don't take a break from being a, 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 a bridge to the lost. We don't, we don't take a day off from being somebody who heals brokenness. We don't take a day off from that. We don't look at a clock and say, well, it's not Sunday afternoon, so I, I'll just have to hope someone finds them and helps them. I think you'd be disappointed if that was me. It's like, I at least expect your pastor to do that. Pastor went by somebody and needed prayer, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I got out of the office at 5. I'm sorry. I'm done. It's me time now. It's time for self-care. Well, you can take the self-care demon and go fly a kite. I want you, all we do is self-care. Think about it. We must work the works of him who sent us within the Christmas story. I love it because it, it's full of action. There's no, nothing slack, right? Hello? You still there? Yeah, I, thought, I was talking on the phone and no one was answered. Like, did we get cut off? Huh? In the Christmas story, Mary, go have this baby. Joseph, go take her as your wife. Angels, go make that announcement. Shepherds, go and worship and see this thing that's happened. Wise men, go worship and give gifts and find this little baby. It's go. It's go. It's go. It's go. Look, can you see in my eyes? Can you see? It's go. It's go. It's go. Let's go. Have you ever noticed that people who serve the devil are always all, all about it? People that serve the devil never seem to take a day off, do they? They're always taking their service to the devil so seriously all the time. They never take a day off. They don't have a segment where their mouth is clean. Every, every, you know, they, the cussing, it never stops. The, the dirty jokes, it never stops. The, the filth, they fill their minds, it never stops. The negativity, the lies, the it never stops. But Christians, sometimes, they just want to go to church on Sunday. They want to give crumbs to God and only serve God when it's convenient. And we want to do what we want to do and not fully surrender to God. I love the song we sang today, I surrender all. We can't sing that. Or do that enough. You see, we have to remember, my friends, when we were saved, this thing is a lifestyle. There's no off days. We can't take six days off and then suddenly turn it on on Sunday or Wednesday night. That's why sometimes church feels like trying to start a, a cold engine on Sunday morning. And I'm not saying here every week because it's gotten different here lately. 
Thank God. You can talk to worship leaders across the country, like coming into words, like, like the old cars. Like you pump the accelerator, like the new cars, you don't have to do that no more. But finally it starts up. Why is that? Because people have been a million miles away from the presence of God all week. It hasn't been on their mind. Has it been? Colossians 3 has been <laughs> a dream. You know, set your affections on things. About, we haven't thought about God. We haven't thought about anything. We're just busy. We're just busy, bro. So notice what happens when the man born blind finally convinces his neighbors that he is the same man that used to be blind. Look at verse 12. They said to him, where is that man? When he finally was able to convince him, no, 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 I'm here because it was Jesus who healed me. Then where is that man? Where is Jesus? You know, that's a great question, the American church. Where's Jesus? We're singing about his miracles, but where are they? People singing they're not a slave to fear anymore while they still live in fear. You're singing about him all the time, America Church. Where is Jesus? Oh, yeah, he split the sea so you could walk right through it. Yeah, tell me about that in your life. Yeah, you're no longer a slave to fear. Well, explain a couple things to me. Yeah, he, he's the worker of miracles. Yeah, explain. Tell me about that. I was talking to one of our high school students recently they go to a public school and they told me something that it, it surprised me a little bit and it hurt my heart at the same time but they said that some of the very worst kids at the school they go to and I'm not going to name it because I don't want to throw shade but my guess is it's probably true we have several high schools represented so don't just think it's down the road here they said some of the very worst kids in their school, the very worst, are kids who come in with Christian T-shirts, who go to churches, are, are vocal about the fact they go to church, and they're the ones that have the worst cussing, dirty jokes, the worst lifestyle. And yet they come to Christian the school with a Christian t-shirt and, and actions and attitudes are a complete embarrassment to the God they claim to serve. You see, it's important, my friends, that we understand where is Jesus. Religion loves to sing about him. Religious, especially this time of year, there's more religious demons come out of the woodwork around Christmas and Easter than any other time. And I want to tell you that that's the whole thing. We, they'll, they'll, they'll be glad to hear about it. They'll be glad to talk about it. But the question really is, where is Jesus? Because there's a whole lot of folks wearing his T-shirt and dropping his name, and they've obviously never encountered the living God. It was the mistake of the wise men. They came asking that question, where is Jesus? And they asked the wrong person, didn't they? Herod. 
They came thinking, well, here, here's a religious person who should know where Jesus is. We're trying to find Jesus. Could you imagine somebody in this world today who really wants to find Jesus, who's really seeking God? Like the young man that emailed me a couple nights ago that said he's considering following Christ. And we went back and forth a little bit talking. But I want to tell you, there's people who want to find Jesus. And so they go to a likely person. Oh, here's somebody who should know. Hey, where's Jesus at? Let me ask you. But the reality is they don't know. And they only have the appearance that they know. But what is happening is that they are doing tremendous damage to those who are seeking the real Jesus. This is why many in our world have the view of Jesus they do. They've observed the behavior and the lifestyle of religious devils who are actually enemies of God. And they've said, no, thank you. You see, this is, this is why what we're preaching this morning from, from John 9 is so important that we make sure is active and living in our lives because that is what will turn the opinion. That is what will reach people when they see a church that really lives what they believe, when they see a church that is living like Jesus, when they see a church that says, listen, there's no off days. I'm genuine 24-7, 365. I'm serving Jesus. I'll pray for you at any moment, any time. I'll manifest the glory of God anytime because he's on on me, he's with me, and I'm ready to go. That's what the people of this planet need to see, is a real representation of Jesus, not more boring religious talk. Where is Jesus? Like it's been stated, it's tragic when people come to church looking for Jesus, but they only encounter us instead. Jesus then said, verse 5 there in your Bible, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Jesus said, as long as I'm here, I'm the light of the world. But Jesus wasn't here long, was he? And he's not here on the earth today, is he? No, he's not. Who came to replace him? The Holy Spirit is not Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God also, but the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. That's why Jesus told his disciples, it's good that I leave. See, Jesus never taught anyone to say, repeat after me, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. That is nowhere in the Bible. <laughs> so we're clear. Jesus said, it's good that I leave because the Holy Spirit will come to you. And all the things that I've taught you, all the things I've empowered you to do, he's going to be inside of you now. That's why I've said this many times. I, I want us to make sure we understand the culmination of Christ's ministry on earth was not the resurrection or the crucifixion. It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That was the end game. The crucifixion, resurrection paved the way for that. The end game was to get the Holy Spirit of God in all of his followers. Why? Because Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, and I'm passing it to you now. All authority, tag, you're it. Remember back in John 9 when I said, we? <laughs> Now it's you. Now it's you. 
Because you see, not only is Jesus and was Jesus the light of the world, guess who is the light of the world now? See, religion really hates this. Religion, religion will push back. We are the light of the world now. Religion hates that. Religion wants to say, oh, that's not right. That's heresy. Well, you're disagreeing with the Bible. Jesus called us the light of the world. <laughs> he said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You are the light of the world. No one lights a candle in a house and then puts a basket over it. See, again, religion doesn't want to hear that because it means I'm responsible to do something besides be a warmer of a seat. You are the light of the world. As Jesus was, so are we today. It says that. As Jesus, now we are. We're carrying on his ministry. We have become the light. And that light is a light of Jesus Christ inside of us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And that light is still shining in the darkness. You know, my cell phone, I don't, it's sitting over there. You know, I, I, have you ever used your cell phone battery or flashlight? Right? Isn't that, isn't that the, that's like got to be one of the greatest inventions of, of the modern times. I think it's better than the phone itself. I mean, it's like there's times where I'm like, oh, I really need a flashlight. Oh, the luck. I have one in my pocket. And that, that little light is like the heat of a million suns. I don't know how it gets so bright. It's like a little LED in there, but it's like you can't even look at it. Like it like burn your retina. It's so bright. It's so, I think, man. And so I looked it up. I'm like, how many wattage, right? What's the wattage of power in that little thing? It's like a one watt. Right, like most of the bulbs in our houses are like 60 watts, right? That little light on our cell phone, like a 1.1 watt worth of power. But oh my goodness, if you're in a dark hallway or you're somewhere on a ladder, look up, man, that's like, that's like a floodlight. My friends, I want to tell you something. If that light is so bright, how bright is the light inside of us that it has, Jesus said, it has the ability to light up the whole world. The light inside of you has the, you see, I don't think we understand who we are. I don't think we understand what Jesus has done inside of us. I think the devil wants to keep you complacent and passive. He wants to keep you thinking, well, someday. No, right now. You've got the, if you've got Jesus in your life, you are the light of the world. It's time we start living it and acting like it. Woo. We cannot be content leaving our friends in darkness. We cannot be content leaving our family in darkness, our school in darkness, our jobs in darkness. Being a light in darkness is why we are here. When you hear about the tragic events in, in Mayfield, Kentucky, at the candle factory, where it completely collapsed during the tornado, 110 people maybe were in the building. My thought immediately says, dear Jesus, I pray there was a believer or two in that building that was a light. Because they're going to take a lot of body bags out of that probably, sad to say. 
I would like to know that those people had, and maybe they did. I don't know. Maybe they all were Christians. I don't know about it. Is this statistically? We doubt it. Hopefully there was somebody that as the building was caving in on them, that in that final moment of their life, that some of them, you know, we're going to find out, I don't know how many they think passed away, 70, 80 people, that they, they, they had one person that they worked with who said, you know, I don't like working here because it's foul. There's a lot of people here. Their language is bad. They're living terrible. They, they, I don't like being around that. But they listened to the Holy Spirit, and they said, no, this is why you're here. You're here to be a light in the darkness. I pray that there are some believers in that building that would let their light shine. That in those folks that passed away into eternity, that they had a moment before they died where they said, yes, I remember what Joe said over the other day. Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, I give you my life because it only takes a split second to get right with God. We have been called to be lights. So we don't run from darkness, we run into darkness. Right? Like the U.S. Marines, we don't want run from trouble, we run into it. Huh? That's how we are as believers. Why would the people with the light want to separate ourselves from darkness? Right? Because God has called us to be a light. We are the light of the world. Jesus said, while I'm here, I'm the light. What's the big fat implication? Well, if you read this, the rest of the, the chapter, the book, right? Now you're it. Matthew 5, 16, 17, 18, read it for yourself. You are, you are the light of the world. My followers, listen. That's what Jesus was saying. You are the light of the world. You are are the light of the world. I am leaving. But I am one light. But when I leave, I am sending somebody who's going to be a light in every single one of you. His name is the Holy Spirit. And he's going to blaze brightly inside of you. Don't conceal your light. Don't hide it. Because I am sending you into dark places. I am sending you into place. You don't even have to go to India. You don't have to go to Africa to invade a dark place. You don't have to go to China to invade a dark place. There are lots of dark places right around here. Dayton, Ohio is filled with darkness. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. God, you have called us to be a light of this world. I was reminded of an incredible story. You've heard me talk about Lester Sumrall. He was an amazing Pentecostal minister. Went to be with Jesus about 10, 15 years ago. If you've ever heard of the man, the pastor named Rod Parsley, Lester Sumrall was his mentor. Lester Sumrall has the, uh, the Feed the Hungry ministry that I was telling you about also a couple weeks back about how it's important that we, we give to uh, people who need fed. We need, we need to help feed the poor. This is something every Christian should undertake, right? His ministry is one of the very best. His son runs it now. It's LaCia, Lester E. Summerall Evangelistic Association, LaCia, something like that. 
but they have feed the hungry and it's a great because like 99 98 percent of the dollar that you give goes directly to feed people all over the planet children specifically in 1953, this case actually made the national, international news. There was a young lady who was 17. Her mom was a fortune teller. She did not know who her father even was. She had become so tormented with demons that they had to lock her in prison. She literally was almost become like the man we find in Matthew chapter 5. She would get violent, claw, scratch, bite, curse. Bad. Lester Summerall, an American minister evangelist, heard about her case. I only remember her last name. I want to say it was Villa Nueva was her last name. Her first name, I forget. You can look, you can Google this and find the story. Don't do it now, though, because I'm still preaching, right? So he goes over there, and he goes to that girl's prison, and he lays hands on her, and he goes in three consecutive days. So the whole world is literally watching this. Everyone in the Philippines is like, well, because this was like a nationally known. I forget the whole backstory how the girl became so well known, but it was like everybody knew who this girl was. He went and cast demons out of her for three straight days. On the third day, that last devil came out of her. She was completely set free. Of course, got radically saved. But because the whole world was watching Jesus. Over 100,000 people in the Philippines alone got saved because of that. <laughs> Revival broke out in the Philippines because they saw evidence of a God who still showed up and a God who still delivered and a God who still set free. And he, Lester Sumrall, went to the worst of the worst cases and God did a work in that young lady's life. And I want to tell you, I'm so excited about what God is doing because I want to tell you, a lot of churches today, they, won't, they, don't, want, they don't want a devil cast out in their Sunday morning service because it'll embarrass. But I want to tell you something. If you can't take somebody getting a demon cast out of them on a Sunday morning, you're not ready for revival. You're not ready for the glory of God to fall. If we have to have our little presets and our parameters and say, well, God, we'll accept this. And come on. We're like good little Americans, right? We have our preferences, and if our preferences aren't met, then we'll take our ball and go home. Bye. I want the glory of God. I want revival. I want the manifest presence of Jesus Christ. 
That is why we are here. That is why. It doesn't mean we're, we're not. We, listen, as I said a couple weeks ago, we don't plan what happens in the altar on Sunday morning. Stuff just pops up. Stuff just happens. But thank God we're in a place that we deal with it because we know the God. We have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that can carry us through any battle, anything we face. And that's why we are here to destroy the works of the devil. And no matter what they form, they come in. No matter what they look like. Come on, are you with me today? We want revival. I don't care what it means. I don't care what it costs. We've already paid a price for wanting revival. We've already paid a price. I want to tell you, friend, I've already paid a price. We're going to pay more of a price, but it's okay. It's okay. I'm going to sell out to see God move, or I'll just spend the rest of my life on a fishing boat. Because I, I will not go back to a church that doesn't believe in the power of God. You're, waste, you're wasting your time. Look at me. You're watching me from home. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. In a church that doesn't operate and believe in the power of God, the demonstration power of God, we'll conceal that for another night. You're wasting your time. I could give you a little advice. It's a three-letter word. Run. Run. Time is too short. You got to work while there's time. This is what God has called us to, friends. This, when I think of Christmas from now on, I'm thinking it's go time. Mary, go. Joseph, go. Angels, go. <laughs> Shepherds, go. Wise men, go. And then it was Joseph and Mary, go again. <laughs> go to Egypt. <laughs> well, now come back. It was like there was, there was movement ordained from above. And listen, listen, at the end of the day, isn't what we want for our life? We want all of our movement ordained by him, right? Amen. I'll sit still if that's what God tells me. But that ain't going to be my default mode. <laughs> you follow me? My default mode is not going to be the, the rocking chair, right? Now, if God says rocking chair, I'll sit there. But that, that's not going to be my default mode. God's going to have to say, no, no, you need to back off. Somehow I don't think he's going to. That sounded ridiculous coming out of my mouth as I was saying that. But, uh, yeah, maybe. I'd like you to lift your hand. Stand with me right now. Let's just invite, again, the manifest presence of the Lord in this place today. In the name of Jesus. Come on, Jesus didn't give us 10% of his authority, friends. He gave us all of his authority. Come on. Our call, our anointing is to fulfill the works of Jesus. So our prayer should be, Lord, anoint me in these last days. Whatever Jesus was, so are we. You and I, we have more to offer people than just inviting them to church on Sunday. Why? Because I'm a walking, living, breathing breakthrough for someone. Did you know that? You are a walking, living, breathing breakthrough for somebody. you got to start seeing yourself that way, my friends. Stop, stop thinking something else. You are a walking, living breakthrough for somebody. Come on. Lord, anoint me. Lord, anoint me. Lord, anoint me. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at destinydayton.com.